I'm Chris Gardner of the Houston Round Bar Review, speaking with Scotty Rogers. How are you, sir? I'm great, Chris. Great to be here with you. And you are the Director of Communications for the Cotton Bowl. Is that right? That's correct. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Been here on board full time, uh, knocking on the door of three years. But my relationship with the bowl game goes back now 24 years. I was uh, I volunteered for 21 years. As I like to say, I had the world's longest interview. So, uh, but uh, it was, it's been a great time and it's a great opportunity to work with one of the, one of college football's most uh, prestigious events. And we've known each other almost that long. Not, oh. quite, not quite 24 years. Uh, it's knocking on the door, Chris. If you start yeah. thinking about it, knocking on the door goes back to the, to the early 90s for sure. So was it, we're really because I want to say, and let me excuse the listeners, the viewers who will watch this and hear this on audio as well. We met at a Houston Comets game through a mutual friend, and you suggested I apply for a credential to the women's Final Four. Yeah, that was at the time that I was on the women's uh, staff on the Division One women's basketball staff at the NCAA. I was there in 2000, 2005. So we might not have met quite in the, in the nineties, but uh, just knowing in the nineties leading into that job, I was spending a lot of time around women's basketball because I was at the SEC office prior to going to the NCAA. So the first part of my career, I did a lot of time around women's basketball. So knowing who the media were uh, was, was something that I needed to know and do and whether it was, you know, Big, little, small, it didn't matter. If they were covering women's basketball, I needed to know uh, what they were doing, especially when I got to the NCAA because the, the platform was so big. And, uh, yeah, we were there and we were probably in, a, uh, in town for a site visit of some type. And, yeah, it, you ended up applying. And I'm sure I know you've been covering that tournament and the men's tournament for a number of years now. And I want to thank you again, but thank you publicly for your suggestion slash urging to apply for the credential because that got me started. That got my foot in the door. I've met so many people along the way, and it's because of you, Scotty Rogers. So I want to say thank you very much for, for your assistance way back when to now. So I, I really appreciate everything you did for me and continue to do for me because I followed your career. You've moved around since then. So let's get into that. How long you said 2005 at the NCAA? Yeah, I, I was at the NCAA from 2000 to 2005. Prior to that, from 95 to 2000, I was at the Southeastern Conference office uh, in Birmingham. That was my first job out of college. And, you know, I, you're right. I have made some moves in my career. But when you work in sports, as, as you know, um, making moves and, and moving all over the country sometimes is a part of it. Um, after I left the NCAA in 2005, I went to what is now CBS Sports Network. It was CSTV at the time. Moved to uh, the New Jersey area and working in Manhattan. And that was a very unique opportunity. It was there um, just a little over two years. Um, there was a lot of things that happened when I was there. A lot of lessons learned, uh, you know, being in the corporate side, being in television, being in the online side of the the business, learning so much about that side. That was stuff that I still use to this day. 
Uh, and then uh, when that job uh, abruptly ended, I kind of had to figure out what, what the next move was going to be. And that was the early part of 2008. And I spent some time figuring that out. And I ended up landing at the Ivy League office in Princeton, New Jersey, which was not far from where I was uh, living previously. So went there as uh, as associate executive director, associate commissioner uh, for for communications and, and spent eight years there. Um, overseeing that department and growing the many things that we did, not only on the communication side, but on the external side, we had some, we had some very big things that happened during that time there. And I left there in 2016 to go to New Orleans to be associate AD for strategic communications at Tulane University. Spent just a little over a year and a half there before I went from uptown New Orleans to downtown New Orleans <laughs> and moved over to the Sunbelt Conference office, which is based in downtown in the Superdome, actually, and spent uh, a little over two years there before I made the move here to the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. You touched on, I want to ask you, what lesson did you learn at the NCA and earlier jobs that you still use and utilize today? The network, people, being good, being good to people and connecting good people together. Mm-hmm. That was really the biggest thing. When I got to the NCA, not that I, I I built a wonderful foundation of folks that I learned that I met while I was at the SEC. But when I got to the NCA, that became more national in sense because I was going all over the country, whether it was going to look at sites for Final Fours or regionals or first, second round sites and then traveling to those sites during the tournament. I met so many different people, whether they are schools, conferences, media that was covering um teams that were in the tournament, whether they were covering that team or whether they were national in scope. So that really taught me a lot about how the business worked. And frankly, being at the NCAA office in Indianapolis taught me the the business of college athletics, Mm -hmm. figured out the governance structure and how sport committees work and how all these other committees work. And that's just knowledge that while a lot of it's changed, a lot of it's still the same. So I've been able to use that knowledge to just understand how the business of sports in college athletics in particular works. And we saw each other recently in Houston at the men's final four where you, there were, let's see, Houston students from Houston, Rice, Texas Southern and Houston Christian. But a few times I tried to introduce them, some of them to you and just share some of the advice you gave to those students and student athletes for their future career. You know, so my involvement with the men's final four over the last um, handful plus years, I helped oversee one area of the media operations, which is the the duplication area. So to make sure that um, we get the information out to the media so that it can do so that people like you can do your job. So our job is, uh, is to disseminate the information that comes in in the various forms that they come in. And many times in overseeing that area, you deal with a lot of younger folks who are interested in the business, whether they are local to the site, many of them get get it, get uh, excited or engaged uh, and find out about the opportunity and come from, from you know a distance to come help out. And what I tell them is that very simply is that this is your foundation of your network. This is the foundation of the people that you're going to know 
the reason why I know Chris Gardner, because I met him 25 years ago and we're still in the business of sports. So you got to find your people that, you know, your contemporaries, you got to get to know them. You got to uh, create relationships with them, because if you um, if all of you and, and the group of you are going to be around in sports, you're going to end up being around each other for a very long period of time mm -hmm. over, over the years. So I think it's really important that uh, that 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 that's what they understand. Like, and it takes a lot to do this job. It's just not that you show up and oh, I'm interested in sports. That's just not how it works. You got to grind with the long hours. You got to show up early. You got to stay late. You got to do the jobs that you don't think that you want to do. But over time, once you learn all those things and do all those things, you'll get exactly where you want to go. And that's one thing I still tell young people, people younger than me, you never know who was watching you. So always be professional and always do work and work well and ask questions when you don't know the answers Absolutely. because it still holds true. Without a doubt, it, it holds true. I can't tell you the thousands of times that I've interacted with somebody um, in one space and then that interaction might have been the next week or the next year or five years down the road or 10 years down the road. Um, whether you're interacting with them because you're working the same event, whether you're interacting with them because you become co-workers, whether you're interacting with them because you're competitors for the same job. Mm -hmm. You know, those types of things do happen. And, you know, you have to learn how to um, navigate all those different things as it, as it goes on because you run into so many different people in so many different ways when you work in the world of sports and you stay around a long period of time. And that's what the younger folks need to understand as you get into it. Embrace that. Be a part of that. Because, frankly, for me, over time, some of the people that I've met in sports have become some of my best friends in life. We talk all the time. We go on vacations together. We we hang out together when we're in the same places. We make opportunities to hang out with each other, you know, just to go. And then from that, you meet their families and their kids and, and, and things like that. So that's, you know, you create a different kind of community when you can do that. And that's the beauty of working in sports, because you can you can have some family uh, as a part of it a little bit because of the travel, because of the hours. And you do you are away from your regular families um, as, as uh, a little bit more than maybe some other jobs. How has sports media changed, transformed in these 20 years for you? you you've observed <laughs> Chris, we don't have enough time to, uh, to go through all of that. Uh, we really don't. I think in a, I think just using coming off the pandemic um, as an example, uh, people have learned how to do their jobs virtually. There are people that are covering sports events and they're not in that city that the sport event is taking. So then you got to figure out, you got the balance of you want media to come to your event. So you need to do all the things to accommodate those that are going to be there in person. But you also have to do the things to give them the content, whether that's written content, whether that's video content, audio content, social media content, graphics, photos, videos. You have to give them that type of content mm -hmm. so that they can cover your event without even being there. And they can cover the event in a way because they're talking to a faction of people through their portals, through their media outlets that are interested in our game or interested in our tournament or whatever the event may be. So you have to make sure that you balance that and make sure that you give them the content that they need so that they can communicate in a way to do, because there's just not as many 
uh, sports media individuals, uh, entities have gone away. Right. Entities like yours have flourished. The more online-based um, uh, uh, platforms have, have grown. And so you got to figure out how to balance giving those platforms more opportunity. You were doing that a long time ago when it wasn't, when it, when it was not, it right. was not something that was, that was really happening at that time as much. You had more of the traditional outlets, your newspapers, your TV stations. Now you'll go to an event and you may not even have some of those people show up, but they'll still cover it because either they'll take the content that you gave them or they'll take the association press feed or whatever general, you know, media feed that they can take to, to, to ingest to their platforms. How, how different going, working for the SEC and then going to the Ivy league, how different was that? It was very different, but it was also much of the same. You know, I'm very unique in the sense that I've worked at three division one conference offices. I've seen college football at the division one level at all three levels. Even if you count my time at Tulane, you know, I've seen it at the FCS level. I've seen it at the what you call the group of five. I've seen it at the at the power five. And it was it was very different in some respects. What, what the biggest difference was is that in the Ivy League, there was 33 sports from a conference standpoint. Hmm. So we were very we had a lot going on and I had to learn about sports that I had no previous knowledge or background on. When you talk about sports like field hockey or lacrosse men's and women's lacrosse men's and women's ice hockey squash uh rowing uh crew as some people might call it it is uh unbelievable the number of sports and how big those sports are in those conferences in that part of the country and it's very big lacrosse that's going on right right now you know with the with, with the national championship in that part of the country lacrosse is as big as Football is in some respects. It's, mm -hmm. it's like their version. It's not it's not spring football, but I mean in a way that it has that level of interest. It has that level of of following. Um, you have young men that are playing that sport at the highest level. You know, you go all the way back to, you know, you go way way back in the day to a Jim Brown. Right. Um, you know, there's some people that will tell you that Jim Brown was a better lacrosse player yes. than he was a football player. Mm-hmm. Yep, one one of my mentors, Ralph Cooper, who I work at the uh, KCOA two years ago. When I that's where I was when I met you, as well as doing the, my website. He told me time and time again by Jim Brown as a lacrosse player, and hearing it, I was like, yeah, yeah, Ralph, whatever. And then more and more folks said, man, Jim Brown lacrosse was something else, and yeah. so you, you just never know. Tulane, Tulane, do you do you still keep up with Tulane and their recent success on football? Well, obviously, it was a very unique situation for me because my two years that I was there, two football seasons that I was there, was the first two years that Willie Fritz was there as the head coach. So I served as as a primary communications person to the football program, and uh, and oversaw the communications department. So, you know, Tulane is, has a very interesting football history, um, one that has uh, that's had its ebbs and flows, pun intended, uh, when you talk about what what has happened with the Green Wave. But, you know, in the last uh, few years when they've been able to build an on-campus arena in Yulman Stadium and, and bring uh, football back to campus and then what they've been able to do to, to have some success, you know, uh, in the most recent years. But when those first couple of years, it was still trying to get 
they were trying to turn that corner. Got very close in my second year, um, but but obviously what happened this past year uh, was 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 monumental for that program. Them coming to our bowl game and playing one of the best games that's happened in our bowl history, mm-hmm. probably the biggest win in their program history. Um, not to disrespect any other big wins that they've had over the years, but it's unbelievable what that has done for their program uh, against a team that that has you know you know that has the 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 pedigree of of a USC. So and and that was not a, and oh by the way, Caleb Williams did not play a slouch game. He right. played one of the best games in Cotton Bowl history as well as the Heisman Trophy winner. So. You know, to have those two things happen and two lanes come out as a win, it was a it was a, a matchup that nobody thought when they saw it uh, on paper the day it was announced that it was going to be intriguing or even competitive. But yet it turned into um, one of the top college football games of the season. How did you land your current job? Did you seek it out? Did someone approach you? How did that come about? You know, I mentioned it was a it was a long journey. Um, so when I started, when I was at the Ivy League office, I met. Uh, I'm sorry, when I was at the SEC office, I met Charlie Fisk, who at the time was the vice president for communication for the bowl game. And at at that time in my SEC career, I was doing men's basketball. I had transitioned from women's to men, and we all had our hands on football. But I always knew if you're going to grow in this business, you got to kind of keep your hand on football right. as far as that's concerned. So one of the things I proposed to my folks at the SEC after having met Charlie, hey, can I go work the Cotton Bowl as a way for me to do something somewhat of professional development? Frankly, that's not the term that I used at that time, but now looking back on it, that's exactly what it was because I was a basketball guy, quote unquote, at that time, and I wanted to make sure. So I did that, had a great experience. And then as the jobs changed, I kept going back as a volunteer every year, you know, whether I was at the NCA, whether I was at CSTV, whether I was at Ivy League, some, I just kept going back. So 21 years later, <laughs> having gone back and, and become, a, you know, a trusted volunteer and a part of the media operations team, when um, Charlie decided to make a decision to step back a little bit, he's still involved with us as our historian, but he wanted to step back from the full-time role uh, of doing what he's been doing. Uh, fortunately, I was a kind of a natural fit because they knew me. I knew them. Um, situation happened where, you know, phone calls were made and uh, you know, it was during the pandemic too. I was one of those weird people that changed jobs during the pandemic and they hired somebody during mm-hmm. the pandemic. Um, so that was a little, you know, that was a little, you know, a little uneasy because you just didn't quite know what was going to happen. Cause at the time I got hired, I didn't even know if we were going to have bowl games that year. Right. But in, 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 in traditional cotton bowl classic fashion, you know, they made it very clear that no one, no, everybody's job was safe, you know, whether we had games or not. So we kind of pushed forward. So I moved, I started in the role um, in, in August of, of 2020 and we went through that year and, you know, we had one of the you know most unique experiences happen to us because we get, um, you know, we we get thrown. Not only we have our game, but then we get told that we're going to host the Rose Bowl as well. So uh, which was a which was a unbelievable and unique experience. So, you know, so the first you know two years of, of being on board in a full time role. You know, we had to deal with all the pro 
COVID protocols. You know, uh, we had to adjust everything that we do. We had to change our media operation to fit the media that was coming and the times that we were dealing with. And um, it was able, to, frankly, it was an opportunity for me to expand my skill set, show how to do some different things, um, maybe um, take a little bit of the old school away and add a little new school, but not because the old school needed to go away. It was just, a, it was the time we wasn't going to be able to be in person. So being able to communicate better via Zoom with media and use that as a platform to get them connected to coaches and student athletes. Um, using um, Dropbox and, and, and portals through the CFP to, to, to put content out there and drive that to the media that way and give them the information every day and say, hey, here's the information that we're uploading. We've uploaded for you today so that people know what content is there for them to use, making sure we had transcripts and things like that, all, all the different things that really help media do their job because that's the number one goal. Our job is very is at the very essence is to create a situation where the media outlets can get to the individuals and the event that they want to get to to cover and the individuals or coaches and student athletes and administrators primarily. And the event is the bowl game or the athletic event or the final four. And our job is to, to come up with the best possible way that we can be the conduit so they can get that information in the most efficient way and the most accurate way. Where is the Cotton Bowl Classic in terms of the CFP, in terms of rotation? Well, as you probably have seen, um, that has come out. Um, we are a part of the New Year Six, uh, and and have been for a number of years. But as this coming year, the twenty twenty three season will be the last iteration of this version of where we are and what we're doing, because starting in, with the twenty four season, the playoff is expanding to 12 teams and under that to 12, yeah, to 12 teams. And under that um, scenario, every year our bowl game will be a college football playoff game, whether it be a quarterfinal or whether it be a semifinal. So coming off of um, our 88th classic this coming year, our 89th classic, which will be the first under the um, new 12 team playoff will be a semifinal game. Um, and just, Last week, um, or now a couple of weeks ago, um, the CFP announced the dates of those games for twenty for the, you know, the the end of the twenty four season and the end of the twenty five season. And and you mentioned it about keeping your hand involved in in football. That's what I'm now doing. Again, when I was at the radio, did all sports at Ralph at KCOH. Yeah. The last couple of years, I've uh, expanded the Houston Round Bar Review coverage. Back to football, uh, so I got folks on the NFL side, and now I'm on the college side as well, and got approved to cover the Big Twelve football media day and things like that going forward. So I'm expanding, trying to be like you, Scotty. <laughs> I'm trying, you know. So, well, I, I really enjoy everything I do around the bowl game, but one of the, one of the events I, I've kept myself um, engaged with is the NCAA basketball tournament, the Final Four in particular, um, because. It's a great time of year for us. You know, it's after our bowl games. Um, our, 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 our schedule is a little bit lighter during that time. So it gives me an opportunity. And frankly, it's another opportunity for, for me and, and folks um, on our staff because this is something I learned. Many of the people that help us during December and early January, you know, they're the ones that are hosting events right. in March and early April. So it's my way 
in our way to pay them back for what they do for us uh, in, so, in some respects. So it's a good way to have that relationship because that's what happens in sports, especially at the college level. You come help run my event. I'll come help run your event. Um, you help me out on this thing. I'll help you out on that thing. You know, you have to use that camaraderie and not just people that are in your region, friends all around the all around the country. You know, th th there's times when I was at conference office and hosting instant term. I had friends coming from all different sides of the country to come in to help out because, A, they wanted to and B, I wanted them to be there because I knew they would they would enjoy it. It was a great experience. We were able to have a good time and do a great job for the event that we were running. Go back to pandemic time. How long or did it take you very long to learn how to use Zoom? <laughs> um, I will tell you that prior to our first Zoom that we did involving media on a uh, when we were that first uh, selection day. So when the teams are announced, we have the head coaches um, traditionally on a teleconference. But because of the world that we're in, it's like, hey, we need to do this on on Zoom. And I remember on that Friday, that Friday morning, I worked up, I woke up and I knew enough about Zoom like everybody else. I didn't know some of the intricate stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, by the end of that day, from watching webinars and doing a number of different tests, uh, webinars online and learning about the webinar function within Zoom, you know, now we were able to use that to to have the look and feel that we wanted to have for the Zoom to be able to uh integrate our caption, um, closed captioning with the, the folks we're using to do our transcriptions to, to push that out through YouTube, uh, on our YouTube platform and making that stuff live. I mean, at, at one point, and, and that was the start of it, you know, for a couple of our post post games in the bowl game during the pandemic, we had four Zooms going at one time because we'd have, we'd have the head coach, um, and two student athletes in one room and there'll be four of the student athletes for that same team in another room. And we have the same thing for the other team. So we had four zooms going on at both at two times. So coaches, so, so that media could say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just getting the head coach. Mm -hmm. I'm not just getting a player, you know, at one point, one year we did it where we did the head coach and then we did four offensive players and we did four defensive players. You know, so the offensive players were in one room and the defensive players were in another room. So, again, we had four Zooms going on at one time and had it streamed and had it all worked out. And, yes, it was stuff that I did not know what we were doing, but we figured it out and we were able to tweak it and make it so that, yeah, media had to make decisions. It's hard being on two Zooms at one time, but we gave them the content and we were able to record it and we were able to transcribe it. So it was so we were able to give people media that information uh, when, it, when it was all said and done at the end of the day, you had eight players, you had the head coach, you not, you might not all been able to ask the question that you wanted to ask, but you had pages upon pages of transcribed content, minutes upon minutes of video that you could use on your, on your social media and your broadcast uh, in your stories. And so that was really what it was all about. And that's just learn about it. And, you know, now I feel very comfortable in that Zoom environment, you know, knowing what we need to know to do what we need to do to deliver what we need to deliver um, as it relates to um, getting stuff to the media. And frankly, in this 12-team playoff, 
we're going to have to use a little bit more of that because time is going to be um, a little bit more crunched um, and bowl weeks are not going to be as long as they once were. So we're going to have to use that same technology to help ourselves in making sure that the media have access to coaches and student athletes leading into the time that they're there and maybe um, during the time that they're on site as well. Wrapping it up with you, Scotty, Scotty Rogers, where do you see your job or sports media technology taking you in the next five years in terms of how the work is going to be done, disseminated and things of that sort? You know, everybody in the in my side of the business have had to turn their own platforms into their own quote unquote media agency because of the sports media changing the way it is. You don't have as many people out there to tell your message. So, you know what? You got to tell your own message. I think that's going to continue to evolve in what we do and how we do what we do. Uh, But we also still want to make sure that we do everything possible for the media that are out there that are legitimate that can come cover our event. We want them to come cover our event because um, you have you have eyeballs um, and you have listeners and you have watchers that we'll never have because they follow you on a regular basis. Many people follow us, um, some that are college football fans, but many of them follow us, especially if their team is going to be in the running for being in our bowl game. And then after that bowl game happens, there's a little bit of time that they stay on, but then, you know, the next year they may be on to something else. So they may fade from us. They still may have us around, but they may not be as engaged. So we have to make sure that we do what we can to make sure that the outlets that are covering sports on a regular basis in particular areas or to particular groups, the ones that are legitimate, that we can give them the opportunities to come in to cover our game. Um, and then so so then we can reach those audiences. We can reach those people. We can reach those demographics that we want to reach because it's really important because college football is everywhere and there's all different types of fans. You know, they're from eight to 80. They're all colors. They're all backgrounds. They're all parts of the country. And we want to be able to make sure that we can do everything that we can to give everybody access to our game because our game is great. Uh, Our bowl game is great. The history, the things that we do, uh, the things that happen on the field, the things that happen during bowl week, the things that we do in the community uh, throughout the course of the year. Those are all a part of our overall story. And we want to make sure folks have an opportunity to not only celebrate that during the bowl week, but can celebrate that throughout the whole year. Scotty, thank you again for taking time to uh, chat with me. I really do appreciate it. And hopefully I will see you in a few months covering football. Absolutely. Good luck, Chris. Good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Take care.